Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the first chapter of the prophet Jeremiah. My dear friends in Christ, notice the past few weeks we've kind of been on different themes, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I wonder if today you might have an idea as what is to come. Today is all about the Word. Now, don't get me wrong. The baptism that we have and the Lord's Supper that we have, these are all about God's Word because they're really God's Word put together with physical things that we can see and we can hold and taste and touch. I mean, all of these things. And that's wonderful and amazing. But we would be remiss if we didn't understand that it's not just through these sacramental things that God works, but it is through His Word. And we have to hold that in its own position to say the Word is efficacious no matter what it is doing. Whether it's spoken, whether it's read, whether it's meditated upon, the Word is always going to do something. Because God has attached His promise to His Word. I mean, after all, look at what Jesus is doing in the Gospel lesson. He is teaching, and as He's doing it, the people just automatically know that He is teaching as one with authority and power. And to show that authority, what does He do? Well, he casts out the demon, right? I mean, not everybody can cast out a demon. In fact, none of us really should be trying to. That's not within the realm of of Christian ideas. I mean, it is something that we do as pastors and priests, but it's really not a good idea for Christians to mess in the area of the occult. Otherwise, you tend to attract a little bit too much attention from those demonic forces. Regardless of all of that, Jesus is the one who's casting out this demon. And that's a pretty incredible thing. In fact, he doesn't just do it once, he does it multiple times. And thus, everyone who is with him, everyone who is following after him, sees he is teaching with authority. And that authority, they're assuming, is from this supernatural touch that God has placed on him. Because they don't yet, even though the demons do, understand that he is the Christ. That he is God himself. And I would say to you, it is not because Jesus was somehow touched by the divine that he taught with authority, but it is because Jesus himself is the word of God. And that word is the authority of God. And even more amazingly, you have this word of God within you. It has been placed upon your head and your heart in baptism. It has been placed inside of you where Christ, by His Spirit, richly dwells. It has been put into you in the supper as the Word of God goes on to your tongue and into your throat. But it is also in your ears. And as you look at it and read it, it is in your eyes. It is in your mind. No wonder it is that Jesus points out that the love of God is something that involves all of our our mind and our soul and our strength. Because that is the entirety of the human being. And the word of God is all in all within us. So it is that this authority that Jesus teaches with, you have as well. 
Now, what has this to do with Jeremiah? Look at what God says into Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It just so happens that we've just passed the 49th anniversary of that awful law, Roe v. Wade. So automatically, the first thing that pops into my head when I see this every time is that there is something about you, about your personhood, that exists before your father and your mother ever conceived you. God knew you before you were ever a material being. And if your personhood exists even before conception, then it is something that should be protected from conception all the way to natural death. Right? So, first of all, understand this. That abortion is an evil, and it is a plague, and it is a judgment of God against us as sinners. Pray that this gets repealed. I think there's a chance of it this year. You never know. But understand, too, what God is saying directly to Jeremiah. Not only did I know you, not only were you a person before you were ever conceived, but I set you apart to be a prophet. What is a prophet? So often we think of prophets today as these people who have prophecies. People who can somehow foretell what's going to happen in the future. And granted, that's part of what a prophet does. Not that they see into the future, but they tell the future as God has delivered it to them. That's what a real prophet does. And so it is that this prophet is actually not foretelling, but foretelling the word of God. God has set Jeremiah to tell out the word. To bring out the word. And notice, I mean, this is before he can speak. It's before he can cry. It's before he can moan or sigh or groan. Jeremiah was set forward to bring out the word of God. Now, we do not all have this call as prophet. We don't. That's just not where God puts us all. He calls us all as priests, which is very different. A priest intercedes for the people, but the prophet is the one who foretells the word of God. Traditionally, we've seen that then in the role of the pastor, right? The one who is foretelling, the one who is explaining, as we talked about last week, giving the clear sense of what the scriptures say. That's Jeremiah's role. It's to do this for the people. But notice his response. As God is speaking to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's response isn't, wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is a heavy burden. Wow, this is really difficult. He says, Lord, God, I don't know how to speak. Sounds a lot like Moses, right? Send someone else because I'm a stutterer. So God says, well, I'm going to send you your brother Aaron. But Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak, not because I'm a stutterer, but because I am just a youth. I'm a lad. I'm a youngling. I like that word, youngling. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, don't say I'm only a youth. Now, if we 
who do have the word of God in us. We may not have that role of prophet necessarily, but we all have this word of God in us. It's still up to us to share the word with other people. I'd like you to understand that in the scope of history, you are still a youth. You are very young. You are. I know some of you are looking at me going, oh, that mere kid up in the pulpit. I'm not a mere kid anymore, by the way. I've hit 40. I don't feel like a kid anymore. My back tells me I'm not a kid anymore. But you still are a youth. You're young. We're still growing in wisdom and experience, are we not? Have any one of us plumbed the depth of the scriptures? Do any of us have the same knowledge that the prophet Jeremiah had? Are any of us even on the same level as Peter, the beloved apostle, along with John, the beloved apostle, along with Thomas, the beloved apostle? Are any of us near that? Then I would say to you, you're still a youth. And these are your elders in the faith. And so when God says to you, Don't just say that you are a youth. Don't let that disqualify you. Don't let that stop you. Because it doesn't matter. Even if you were three years old, which none of us are, and God put in you the word to speak to people, everybody should listen. Because the authority of that word is bigger than the person who's bringing it. Right? I mean, we even have a a phrase for that, right? Out of the mouth of babes. How many times have we been surprised at what a child has said? And it reveals a significant truth that we had not realized, right? I mean, it's just true. Youth teach us, not because they are somehow smarter, they're not, or wiser, they're not, or more experienced, they're not, but because everyone is able to speak what the truth is. And if in Jeremiah's case, and it is also in your case, the word of God dwells in you richly, then it is that whatever word you speak according to the word of God has the authority no matter who speaks it. You contain within you the authority to be and speak like Jesus, who is the word of God. God says, to all that I send you, you're going to go to them. Whatever I command you, you're going to speak. You don't need to be afraid of them because I am with you to deliver you. It's an incredible thing when we consider what it is that God is saying. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Because the word that he's meant to bring to people often brings him to tears because it is a word of destruction and a word of desolation. After all, I mean, if you look at everything that happens from verse 13 on, you can see that what God is saying to Jeremiah is that, well, Israel, Judea, has done evil things. And in fact, so evil that God is going to rain destruction of destruction upon destruction upon destruction on them. In fact, there is not going to be an end to their destruction. I mean, think about it. Babylon, Syria... Egypt. I'm trying to think of all the other ones. Um, oh gosh, goodness, there's just so many that come out of the north. I can't even think of all the rest until finally Rome comes into Israel. And they, well, reign a little more than a hundred years. And then finally get fed up and destroy the entire city of Jerusalem. 
and all of her people and all of the fortresses, and they lay waste to this nation because they have chased after other gods, because they have forsaken God himself. And so Jeremiah isn't the first prophet to say this, but he's the one who says it the most. And you can imagine then, if I came to your door at your home, and I rang the doorbell, and I told you, God has sent me to tell you that what you're doing is really, really evil. And you need to be aware because God is going to send down fire and burn your house to the ground. What would you do? Well, you'd probably chase me off, right? This crazy guy. Call the police. But then I'd come back. Look, the thing is, is you're chasing after other gods and you need to stop this. Otherwise, God is going to burn your house to the ground. You're going to get a little bit more angry this time, aren't you? Call the police, have me carted off. I'm going to come back again. Look, God is telling me that There's going to be people who are going to come to your house and they're going to set up their own rule in your house. They're going to tie you up. They're going to kill you. And then they're going to burn your house to the ground. And you really need to be repenting and get out of here. Otherwise, destruction is going to come on. I mean, can you imagine all of the fear that you're going to have in that moment? All of the anger that you're going to feel toward me? Because you're not going to focus on God. You're looking at the messenger going, let's kill this guy. Doesn't stop bugging me. I want him gone. I want him dead. And so it is for Jeremiah. That God sends him to these people. He warns them. And he annoys them. Because his words are not what they want to hear. Because that's what the word of God does do, my friends. The word of God often brings us words that we do not want to hear. Words that make us feel uncomfortable. And the word should do that. Because we're sinners. And the word shakes us to our core with its law to tell us that we deserve nothing but hell and damnation for all of the sins that we've done. And yet, it is different for us than it was for the people in Jeremiah's day. Because had they heard the word of Jeremiah and repented, God would have still given them the destruction that he foretold through Jeremiah. And yet he would promise them that Messiah who was to come. He would point their eyes to this Messiah coming someday. Put your hope there and know that you are redeemed in this one who is to come. It's different for us. Because we hear this word of God, we do repent, and our eyes are not pointed toward this coming salvation, but to the salvation that has already come to you. And may be that there are still consequences for the sins that we have in this life. But the word of God comes to us in such a way that it convicts us of our sins. It shows us our depth of need for a Savior. And then it delivers that very Savior, Jesus Christ, to you in your repentance. Because where there is repentance, there is always the forgiveness of sins. Where there is your contrition, the cross of Christ comes to you by His word. So it doesn't really seem to to matter a whole lot. Whether you're in this Old Testament people or you as New Testament people, your eyes are always turned to the Messiah. But the problem with Israel is they would not relent. And so it was like in the days of Moses and Korah. Well, God would swallow these people up and they would be no more. 
You see, the love of God, we heard this in 1 Corinthians, abides. You know, this 1 Corinthians passage we read today has nothing to do with the love of a husband and a wife. It's often read at weddings because it's pretty. That has nothing to do with the love of a husband and a wife. This is all about the love of God that has come to you that you might show it to all people. I mean, I guess that is kind of husband and wife too, but it's not just that. It is about every single person. But regardless of how it is that you show this to your neighbor, this love of God comes to you in the person of Jesus Christ and he changes you and he moves in you because his word dwells in you richly. So God shows Jeremiah these visions. Right? And if you've ever read this and you wonder, all right, what does an almond branch have to do with anything? Did you notice this, by the way? The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. And God says, well, you've seen well, because I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word for almond is very similar, if not the exact same thing in Hebrew to the word watch. So the almond is often seen as God watching over Israel through the scriptures. So when these two things are together, so Jeremiah sees this almond branch and God says, you've seen this. You've seen me watching. Here I'm watching over my word to perform it. It's an amazing thing because it's also a true promise that God is always going to watch over his word to perform exactly what it is that he says. And what does he say he's going to do? The very same thing he still does. I've put my words in your mouth so that you might be set over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. See, God has given you his word to do just this. We live in a day and an age when it's looked upon, and when pastors, where Christians, where all kinds of church leaders are looked at as being way too involved in politics or thinking too much about this world, when really we have this wonderful life here, don't we? But the thing is, is that the word of God is set over the nations and the kings. Not me, right? Now, I am by his word set over these things, as are you set over these things. You have the ability to speak to nations and to kings according to the word of God. I mean, Jesus even tells his apostles, you're going to be taken before all of these people. And this is not just to his apostles, but also to his disciples. You're going to be taken before councils and kings, and you're going to have to answer for everything that I give to you. And you're going to have to speak to these people. I mean, Paul even went so far as to actually speak to Caesar, the ruler of the world, the word of God. What are we going to be called to do? Might be that we're just called to our, our neighbors. Could be that we are called to serve in some governmental capacity. I know pastors, I know Christians who have gone on and they've served in representative roles, whether that's in the state or the federal level or, or senatorial roles. And still they speak the word of God there. Is the word of God rules and reigns over the world, not the nations and the kings. And the word of God, what does it do? It breaks down the world. Do you notice that's what has to happen first? You have to pluck up that which the world has. You've got to break it all down. You've got to destroy it. You've got to overthrow it. So that ultimately we can build and plant what is the word of God. Break down everything that the world throws to stand in the way of God and his word and how it comes to you and to all people 
so that ultimately the word of God can be built up. And what do we do in this way? I like to think of the, the settlers who came and founded St. Peter Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church and how they came up this way out of Milwaukee. This is such a long distance. And they had to clear out the fields. And they had to tear out the trees and clear the stumps and get rid of the rocks. They had to literally tear it up. And what did they do? They didn't just set this altar out in the middle of the field, but they built up a church. They built it up so that the word of God could be rightly preached to the people. That's what we do. We don't just tear all these things down, but we build it up so that the church of God has a place. We build it up so that all the people can see this is the place the word of God is taught. This is the place where God's people are forgiven. This is the place where Jesus comes to us in his flesh and his blood every single time we gather. That's what we're doing. And that's what Jeremiah would do. He was foretelling to the people of Israel, you also are going to be brought to destruction so that the church of God would be planted into this place. And you would see that steeple upon that hill of Golgotha as the cross is raised up and rules over all of Jerusalem. And so it is in every church that that cross of Christ is raised up yet again that all the people would look to it and see it and be saved. Jeremiah is for us this example of what it is we are to do in the word, which is to dwell upon it, to let it dwell in us, to meditate upon it, that ultimately the fight of this world would not prevail against us, against you, but instead that by the word of God, you would be delivered out of all the world would throw at you and into his church forever. So let's turn our eyes this way. I don't mean for all of us who might have fallen asleep during the sermon, but turn our eyes toward this cross. Because this cross is the representation of the Word of God being in this place. The Word of God is efficacious. It is going to do exactly what God has promised it will do, which is to bring you to faith, to bring you to repentance, to forgive your sins, and to bring you to life everlasting. And thus it is that everything we do in this place is centered around those things. Turn your eyes to the cross, because when you see it, you will know that your Jesus is here for you. Where the cross of Christ is, the Word of God also is. And if the Word of God is there, then life is there for you. Know this. Dwell upon it, even as the word of God dwells in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.